0: live
1: scuba obsessed is the weekly podcast we talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear places to dive and scuba news scuba obsessed episode 220 is recorded live november 20th 2014 Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the southwest side of Michigan where it does look like we are entering in the great snowy vortex of 2014. Joining me this week, we have Mac the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac?
0: I'm doing very well and that I'm not living in New York or Boston or any of those places out in that direction. And
1: they certainly had a little bit more than we got.
0: And they can keep it.
1: Yeah, yeah, we we'll, we'll export it that way. Normally we charge for water, but you know, that, that that's in the frozen form like that it's fine. Also joining us this week we have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today Jim?
0: Just fine, thank you.
1: So it has been that time of year. I'm not sure if it's November, December or January, but it is getting to be snowy. Everybody from down south they called me this week they kept on asking how much snow I had. And I don't think we got any more snow throughout the week. We had we had sideways snow. The snow was coming down. It was going sideways, but you never saw it build up on the ground. In fact, I think some of it melted today.
0: You can see a little grass around my place, but uh, and that's lawn grass. I <coughs> just want <laughs> to be clear on that. Uh, but a lot of the areas, I think, out towards Jim, he's got a little more than we do. And then down south, South Bend, Edwards Birds, they got hammered, I mean, comparatively speaking.
1: Yeah, it, it seemed to be spotty, and if you ever watch when we've got uh, – Lake effect snow going on real heavy. You kind of get this banding pattern, and you can have somebody right next to the lake not getting anything, and then you're going to be a couple hundred yards in, and you're getting dumped on. And then it continues like that, oscillating on and off as you go in. But uh, guess just one of the benefits of living near the Great Lakes.
0: Or at so least we didn't get like Buffalo. We we measured it in inches, not in feet.
1: Yes. Yeah. This time of year, we're we're still in the inches. So let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. First article up is a follow-up from a story we've been following throughout the year. If you remember on the west coast in the Pacific Ocean, they've been having problems with starfish mysteriously dying off. Now with a little bit of uh, research, uh, the scientists are believing that it may be a virus that's responsible for killing the sea stars. They said it's not the first time. That they've had this sort of virus. They said it's happened. Uh, they know that it happened in the 1940s. It also happened again in uh, 2013, but not on anything of a scale that they're seeing. They said sometimes it occurs with El Ninos. Uh, this summer, they they were hoping that at the end of the summer that it would slowly let down, but they said it's still continuing on at a rapid pace. Uh, in the just as recent as the last few weeks, I've had locations where that were un unaffected by the virus uh, have 3,000 stars killed in just over the weekend.
0: I think the pictures really show what we're talking about there.
1: Yeah, it's they call it a wasting.
0: You also notice, though, in the secondary picture, the after, there's a heck of a lot of sea urchins on the floor there, or what appears to be sea urchins.
1: Now, is that the exact same location between the two shots? I don't Is think it's the
0: same the, location because I couldn't find that that piling we're looking at on the right with the anode yeah. or whatever it's to it.
1: Yeah, because it's, it's, uh, it looks like it has a zinc anode strapped to it.
0: Uh, my my understanding this was would, would be in the same proximity,
1: but it would make sense that if you have a die off, you're going to have opportunistic creatures that are going to enjoy the die off. It's
0: going to be. Interesting.
1: Vo- Go ahead.
0: It's to be interesting. I mean, because like they said, that's. Uh, the biggest die off they've ever recorded. Of course, I don't think they had quite the uh, recording capabilities 100 years ago. Oh, but uh, uh, it sounds significant since it doesn't seem to be a baby.
1: Yeah. Well, what it makes me wonder is like, uh, you know, in a virus, anything that survives it should end up being resistant. But is, is there anything surviving it? Are there any starfish that make it through it?
0: The starfish equivalent of a Ebola?
1: Yeah, maybe. We could start conspiracy theory on that. Maybe that's what they started it with.
0: I, I don't think they gave a part of what is the bottom line results. If that continues, what is that affecting? I mean, how is it affecting the, the environment there? I, I know it will affect it, but how, I don't know.
1: And I don't think they really know. It's going to be interesting to see what how it comes out. I mean, you'd, you'd like to not see it, but I think there, this is one of those natural things that happens from time to time.
0: Well, hopefully, that's what it'll be. Uh,
1: must must be have slow internet day over in France.
0: Well, they're still trying to say that it's the temperature of the water and it's the warming of the seas that's creating the issue. But they also do not give a comparison of the temperature drops and the difference between the winter season and the summer season. Uh, they they mention that could be a possibility, but they don't give any data at all to support that. So I'm well, and the
1: and the thing about that is. Are you telling me that where the die-off happens at the sea, the, the water temperature is the same all the way? So you say it's it's warming up down south. Well, is that just taking it to a temperature that some of the northern locations have that are also seeing a die-off? Yeah. And then in France, they're they're in France. They're closing a beach because they're afraid of a whale exploding. French <laughs> officials are have been racing against time to dispose of a, a beached whale. A decaying 15-ton carcass had become so bloated with gas, there's a high chance it could burst. Wildlife experts have warned authorities are now desperately trying to work out the best way of getting rid of it, May even blow it up with dynamite. Now, I may not be a marine biologist, but couldn't you just, like, take a spike and poke a hole in it? You know, it's or, like if you have a balloon that's going to blow up, you can vent.
0: Well, you know, you took a look at the pictures where they land the side of it. Did you look at that?
1: The picture where they...
0: Yeah, keep going down and you Oh, there they go. Of him landing it and the effect—that's pretty uh, extreme there.
1: <laughs>
0: I mean, that's a worth. That's worth somebody to take a look at. They have no idea what we're looking at or talking. They need to take a look at this uh, last couple of pictures.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. And we'll have this in the show notes, which I am slowly catching up on. So by April or May, you should be seeing the November show notes. Also, well, if you want thing, to donate what? some time, we'll gladly take volunteers to help us. I'm sorry, Mac.
0: I was going to say, what we could do though is a, a, a great time for target practice. Put little holes in it so it'll bleed off slowly and not explode. Yeah, I mean that way you could do it from a distance.
1: Well, you could do it as a fundraiser. Yeah, you get some. Wait, I mean, wait. if get 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 a guy with a fifty caliber. Oh yeah. You you do an auction, so you have five winners, and you you kind of do it as a ticket system, and everybody puts in, and I now, bet you, you could raise a couple stuff. thousand dollars for charity
0: absolutely yeah, they donate all the funds to peter
1: and then what you do is then you then videotape it put it on youtube and you make money on the the video
0: that's a win-win yeah do you think peter would accept the donation well
1: is, yeah <laughs> would you
0: give it to them
1: i wouldn't but the thing the thing with it is it's already dead but yeah they would have a problem with it even if it was dead
0: desecrating the dead or something
1: yeah. They said the, the animal's no more than two days old when we took it, so we knew there would be some pressure on the inside, but nothing like what happened. We couldn't imagine it would happen like that, so it was a little bit of a surprise. It wasn't a shock. We had expected something in the situation. I was more worried about something worse happening and or anyone getting hurt. We were cutting along the dorsal part of the animal, so when it exploded, it did a very controlled way. It was a, it was a very loud, I suppose, something everyone here is talking about. Wow.
0: You know, nobody just couldn't put uh, something around the tail and tow it out to sea. Yeah. And it wouldn't be a danger. Wow. Even that, though it is it's... cheaper to stick it with the lamps. You could have done the same thing, a hollow harpoon. Yeah, you know? they could have done the By same thing. Don't get the guy hurt. Did you listen to the video? I was curious. I said it was very loud. I am just curious. Well, so in, now, the, in the, the, the video, harpoon. it
1: says no audio. Ah. Uh, so, but, okay. Well, that kind of answered my question, but. So they can go boom. And as it gets colder up here, it gets warmer down south. So the southern hemisphere is starting to get into their diving season. This one out of Australia. Insurance Woes Sink. Graham's Big Dream for Unique Limestone Coast Attraction. And they have some nice photos in this article. What they're talking about is a Killsby Sinkhole, which is a famous cave uh, for cave diving. Crystal clear water. Uh, 200 foot depth limestone cave up to four to 500 hundred divers a year come to plunge in the depths of the cave provided that they're certified with the cave diving association of australia other than that he says the rest of the other 250 dies, days a year it just sits there uh, the farming property in which the sinkhole has been in the family for th- three generations uh, they've been fighting legal uh, problems He was hoping to build an infrastructure that would include some amenities that they could allow for uh, lunches around the sinkhole, open to schools, sporting tour groups and camps. But public liability insurance quotes were running into tens of thousands of dollars, and he hasn't had the funds to be able to do it. He says, if I I go ahead and do what I want to do, I would have to have some sort of protection. The more people that I can get to put through the sinkhole, then it would cover those amenities, but you can't spend $70,000 if it's going to take me 20 years to recoup my money. He's even had to subdivide the sinkhole from his farm. He split off the five acres because the insurers didn't want the responsibility for the sinkhole. The uh, Cave Diving Association has its own public liability insurance. Anyone who visits the sinkhole is now required to hold the appropriate coverage.
0: But it was interesting. They talked about why that's partially the problem is because of the tragedies they had before. <clears throat> the drownings in 2011, 2011, and... Uh, that was in 1969.
1: Oh, I didn't see that part. Yeah, you know, they said they had some. And in 1969, two divers drowned, and the Kilsby's closed the cave to all recreational divers.
0: And in 2011, was uh, they said a 52-year-old Melbourne man died after becoming entangled in guide ropes while diving with a partner. Just that, that quote makes me wonder how is that possible unless it's around his freaking neck.
1: Well, and that's that's the thing right there is that's what scares an insurance company is that guide ropes almost indicate an improvement. If it's a natural structure and you die because of the natural structure and you knew the risk, that's one thing. But if you, as the owner of it, allow ropes to be placed in there and they become dangerous, that would appear to be a risk.
0: I, I don't know if the rope got up and just wrapped itself around his neck or not. Yes. I, those inanimate objects, and I, I won't talk about some of them, you really got to uh-huh. be careful because they're frightening.
1: Yeah. Well, and then what is every diver supposed to have? You're supposed to have a dive knife to cut yourself out of the ropes. Don't panic. Have enough air. I mean, there's dive of the dive buddy. There's a whole whole lot of things. And they said rope, not cable.
0: Yeah. It's one of the few times also you can have scissors and actively be engaged in movement, whereas on the surface you can't run with those scissors. Yeah. Or you can. <laughs>
1: you can scuba dive with scissors, I guess. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, then they said in the 60s, a sinkhole was leased to the weapons research establishment for testing purposes.
0: What were they testing? I could imagine you could try out sonar, things like that. I guess it's and a protector.
1: And then they said the 80s, the South Australian Police Department and underwater recovery unit used, used it for diver training, which makes sense.
0: Well, look, gorgeous. Reminds yeah. you of Black Air.
1: Yeah, yeah, beautiful. So the best time of day to visit is between 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. So the sunlight fills the sinkhole with a beautiful beam of light, which makes the sinkhole such a unique de- destination.
0: You know, they also say this is a cavern dive, not a cave dive. Well, yes. And there is a, you know, there is a significant difference.
1: Yeah, this is, this is open. Now, they, I'm guessing that there has to be ways in and out, but it could just be a pure sinkhole, I guess. They don't go into that much detail.
0: I'd like to go there and dive that one. That's really nice looking.
1: Well, it sounds like it. All you'd have to do, because they're they're being a little overprotective, you'd have to have uh, the Cave Diving Association of Australia certification.
0: As opposed to the cavern diving. Right. Which is a lot less restrictive.
1: Yeah. yeah they're, they're just being extra careful. Well, it looks like he does have some improvements on. I mean, you look at that deck, that dock there. Oh, yeah. Awful nice. Have you ever been to Haiti, Mac?
0: No, I have not, nor the Dominican
1: Republic. <laughs> I hear the scuba diving's good down there. But I'm not surprised by this next article, which says that there seems to be a trash problem.
0: I've had a bunch of people tell me I'm going to go to Haiti.
1: <laughs> I think they're mispronouncing a little bit. Oh.
0: As long as they say it in such a way that you're happy to be on your way, you're good.
1: Yep. So this article talks about somebody who's going for a dive. They said uh, they were excited to get in the water, but then just as they jumped in, they look around you. They said they were literally surrounded by trash, styrofoam go-to lunch boxes, clear plastic bags, plastic soda bottles, shoes. He said, suddenly my excitement just drained away says, it's just one of several occasions where I found myself swimming around trash in the water off Haiti's coast. says, when he came up from the dive, trash was floating on the top of the surface. The dive master did mention that it was normal and that the trash wouldn't stay around us. The garbage was from the city. It got flushed out to sea by rain. It would go further out to sea with a current.
0: I think the key wording there is proper trash disposal does not exist in Haiti.
1: There's a lot of things that don't exist in Haiti.
0: Well, you take a look at this. If we didn't have the land to dig a hole in and bury our waste, where would we be putting it? Because we're not recycling, and we're not using the really good type of devices that, that turn the waste into power or electrical energy. Yeah,
1: well, part of the problem with waste is what we make it out of. We, we were no cleaner. I've lived on a, a farm that was over 100 years old before, and any place you dug in that yard, you ran into trash. And the difference was is that the stuff that stayed around there was you were it was pretty much tin cans and glass everything else rotted away Well now we've got a whole other class of product that seems to hang on forever all sorts of uh, synthetic materials now, I, I I'm not one for outright banning things but they need to change how they make these plastic bags. I don't think it's got to be that much of a challenge because they're putting they're adding stuff to that plastic to make it UV resistant seems like they could do it the other way, where you could have a bag that, okay, it holds up fine for six months to a year, but then after that, it just kind of turns to goo, goes away.
0: So go back to paper that decomposes normally yeah. and
1: naturally? Yeah, paper. It's a, it's a recyclable product. You farm it. It grows in the ground. It's natural. You don't have to bleach it if you don't want to. Yeah, we, we've got the technology and the... The ability, if we wanted to do it,
0: well, it, it does cost more, and that's part of the issue. It's all all always comes down to how much is it going to cost. Well, look at the,
1: like we got Christmas coming up. How many things will you buy this Christmas that will about kill you, trying to get the package open? You get those well, those vibra welded
0: bubble packs, yeah. Packs trying to keep you from stealing something. They put it in the bubble packs.
1: They do that, then they use twenty. 20- twist ties on it. I hate those things. And then after 100 years, the Canterbury-Boshawan Bridge is being knocked down and removed. I'm assuming this is Concord, Massachusetts. Concord Monitor is reporting. It had an interesting photo in there. It said workers removed the Canterbury section of the historic Canterbury-Boshawan Bridge. The bridge had been uh, built by famed engineer John Stores in 1907. It had been... Closed to traffic since 1965. The first half of the 347-foot bridge was removed last week. Crews expected to have the rest of the bridge out of the river by the end of yesterday. The two towns split the cost of its removal. The cost of removal should be lower than initially estimated at $400,000. Both towns split the cost. The state DOT will reimburse up to 80% of the pre-approved cost. It was an agreement that seemed to make sense for the two boards of selectmen rather than having... Two staffs trying to work on the issue. It seems sense to have one staff do it. Workers cut the bridge around the concrete abutment in the middle, dropped it in the water, and used an excavator to pull it out of the river. Scuba divers are checking the river for pieces of the bridge that need to be removed. It's a, a floating tarp-like divinity curtain is set up around the south of the bridge to prevent material from floating down river. What are they afraid is going to float down river?
0: I was thinking the same question because it looks like steel is not going to do really a, a really good job of floating.
1: Because I can remember, you know, the
0: period a little bit, but not down. And you know uh, what, have you seen what they are talking about, by the way? It looks like a surface boom, a surface boom generally to catch oil and other contaminants that fall out and would be floatable. And sometimes I've seen where they extend down a little bit to do Uh the same thing.
1: Yeah, but I've just kind of puzzled to, unless they thought there would like a, what, a bucket of oil would fall with it. Yeah, the, uh, you know, and for people, yeah, I, I think the youngsters, might not be familiar with these bridges, but I remember as a kid, you know, here in Michigan, every town that had a river it seemed like you had one of these sort of bridges, a little steel bridge. Sometimes there were one lane. You had uh, a board. You didn't have decking across the whole thing. You just had boards where the tires would go. Yeah. So I need to look at the other photo see what it says. Oh, that other photo is a nice shot. And that shows a little bit more of that boom, I think.
0: Yeah. You see, the other part, though, is again the legality of getting sued. That's really the driving force. Because it hadn't been used in 60, what, 65, 67? Yeah. It said both towns had safety concerns for 50-odd years of people sneaking on the bridge during the summer. What do you mean sneaking on the bridge? It's a bridge. It trying To keep off. And anyway, there was potential for some kind of injury from jumping off the bridge. Well, yeah, there is. There is always potential.
1: Yeah. Well, if you look at the, in that photo there, you can see that that wood decking had been long gone. So probably what was happening is, yeah, I could see teenagers trying to, and also I—I I wonder where the next closest bridge of this was, because mm. yeah, if you if you have property, if you live on one side and you want to get to the other side, do you pin you got the only way to go is foot traffic that could be tempting. But what got me on this, I'm thinking bridge where there's a bridge, there's got to be bottles.
0: Yeah, yeah, and other stuff.
1: And we'll talk a little bit about more about that when we get to that time of the show. And then I'm not even sure where this one is. Uh, Pleasanton, you still there?
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: I I I hit. I closed the window, and I think I closed Skype all the way. Here it is. I got it back. I was worried I cut you off. Uh, Pleasant Town. They're they're wondering what's the bottom of the Shadow Cliffs Lake. And they said what they're discovering is that. Most of the trash, hundreds if not thousands of pounds of it, isn't invisible. It's just in the bottom of the lake, the lake bed at Shadow Cliff Regional Park, where old beer cans, chip bags, endless tangles of monofilament line pile up year after year, visible only to fish and other creatures that live among it. They said the debris would normally just pile up if not for a group of public-spirited scuba divers who volunteered to take time to dredge a junk out every month or so. The five-man team brings... Decades of diving experience to work for them. Three of them are from divers of the Alameda County Sheriff's Department underwater recovery diving team. They say, I don't think it had ever been done at Shadows Cliff. We got 500 pounds of trash out of there. We pulled out everything, bottles, cans, whiskey bottles, you name it. There's a lot of plastic and styrofoam. All that stuff kills the fish. It's a terrible the environment. After cleaning that out and seeing that no one else was doing it, I wanted to see that we could do it and keep it cleaned out. They put together a small team of diving buddies and navigated the paperwork channels at East Bay Regional Parks, finally receiving approval to dive Shadow Cliffs on a trial basis. few lakes have had such programs, said Park Superintendent Bill Kamansky. As far as I know, it's kind of unique at Shadow Cliff. It'd be nice service to other parks, this kind of test project here. These guys are pretty local, so it works for everybody. They said the park staff works to keep the shorelines clean, but they... Can't access the garbage that finds its way in the water. It gets windy and a lot of picnic debris gets blown in the lake, and then there's just a general carelessness. Fishermen who find it more convenient drop stuff over the side than to take it to a garbage can. The 40-member volunteer group of highly trained divers performs underwater search and rescue drowning. Oh, I think they're talking about the, uh, the the underwater recovery team. Team focuses on different area with each dive, generally cleaning the public swim areas in the spring to prevent swimmers from cutting their feet of underwater debris. From air, they fan out over the lake, sometimes swimming from shore to shore. They try to swim side by side, each carrying a collection bag and backup air tanks. They never know what they'll find. They said you get hooks, lines, a lot of fishing equipment. We're always getting hooked up on fishing lines. You just have to be careful when you come out because you can really get snarled. That's why we carry scissors and knives so we can cut ourselves out. A lot of stuff is mainly trash left behind, like paper, plastic bags, aluminum cans, glass bottles. When we were doing cleanup some years ago, we went to the picnic area, by the swim area and brought back one of Shadow Cliff's barbecue pits. We pulled out pieces of rebar, buckets filled with cement that people have dropped in as anchors, road signs, an A frame style that folds up like a lot of boat anchors. A joke is that if we bring up another anchor, one of us is going to have to buy a boat. <laughs> Isn't that true though? It seems like anchors are probably the one of the at least by weight, one of the biggest items that they're there in the water.
0: And considering how many are the five gallon pails or two-gallon pails full of concrete with an eyelet on it. Yeah. It wouldn't wouldn't take you long to get 45 pounds.
1: Yep. So good for them. Glad to see that they're doing it. Like I've said before, it's just fun to take that stuff out, though.
0: And that's still something we need to work on after they get the bridge redone. Oh, yeah. They, through Niles. I can't believe we wouldn't be able to get a clean out the Niles River Day if they provide that yeah. picture just to see how much we could do. Have a weigh station. Mm-hmm. I, I'm rolling to work, bet that's something Timber Commerce on there would support.
1: Yeah. Now is that bridge there, is that are they gonna put a replacement bridge in or is that Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. I don't I mean, know if they're just ending they're, that crossing.
0: They're completely redoing it.
1: So I can't believe there's that much traffic. I mean there's traffic on it because it's there, but you can go the other one, which isn't much newer.
0: <laughs> yeah, but if you have don't have that bridge, where do you go to get in the NIOPS Without taking a long detour. Yeah, it's a long way up or a long way down other than those two bridges. Oh
1: yeah. No, those are the two ones. The next one is you'd have to head out to the bypass or go down to twelve, I think. Yeah. US twelve.
0: Well, I know I'm doing my part to clean up that Nile the River there in Niles.
1: Yeah, we got pictures to prove it. And then deli the deli fish. <laughs> uh, gives me so many it gives me so many images. A surprising appetite for deli. Dead jellyfish. They said an experimental test involving dead jellyfish buffet tells uh, a story about how popular they are. Worked done in Norway by Andrew Sweetman of the International Research Institute of Starvinger and his colleagues suggest the, that uh, impressions left by ocean floor observations may be the exception, not the rule. So they sank platforms loaded with jellyfish and other platforms loaded with mackerel more than 4,000 feet deep in uh, Norway's largest fjord. And what they found in the C4 cleanup crew, hagfish, crabs, and other creatures gobbled up the jellyfish just as fast as mackerel within a few hours. He said the results were so surprising that when the researchers pulled up the bare platform 18 hours, we thought jellyfish just washed away on the way down. Are they kidding me? At that depth, anything that falls is going to get eaten. Are, are they? That just—I think that's naive. Maybe I'm naive, but for thinking that. But you know, when you, when you live that far down and you're an opportun, uh, opportunistic feeder, anything you can get down there—I mean, it could be chicken. It could be snails. I don't think there's really much differentiation. You're going to eat it.
0: It'd be interesting if they keep it up. What the bottom line does out there?
1: Yeah. And then they go in talking about uh, we may have been missing a big component, downward transportation of carbon. Well, yeah. They said it's far more important to the food web than we first realized. Goodness. I don't know if they're saying that just to say it or if they actually didn't anticipate that. I mean, where do they think it would go? Maybe it's just surprised by the location. Maybe they thought that it had to go someplace else.
0: Well, it's nice to know that if you had a bunch of dead jellyfish and you had to get rid of it, you'd know
1: where to take it. Yep. A 500-year-old Portuguese shipwreck off the Strait of Malacca is to be recovered. Efforts are being made to retrieve sunken treasure worth about $2 million in the strait. Authorities of Portugal are determined to refloat the Flora do Mar. The ship sank in November 1511. Portuguese explorer Alfonso de Albuquerque was returning to his home country on Florida Mar when he was carrying a cargo filled with treasure from the Malachi Sultanate when it sank. Is that where Bugs Bunny got it from? <laughs> Someone, somebody's got to do the punchline. Uh, Ralman, who is the chairman of the Gagasin Bandan Economy Malui. <laughs> what? That doesn't, that's not anything. That is just. <laughs> oh, well. I guess in some language that means something. They said now they need to reach an agreement to salvage the treasures. Now, is is part of this just lost in a translation? When they say we're determined to refloat, in Indonesia, you're not refloating a ship that sank in
0: 1511. Uh, I don't know. It's off the coast of Sumatra. It said it was broken in two pieces. I just don't see what the depth is.
1: Yeah, they don't give you any of that detail. Of course, there's gold on it, so they're not going to let you know.
0: Well, it's 36 by 8 by something meters. It was a three-mast. See, it was ran aground. I'm looking at the pictorial of it. It looks like your your standard galleon that, we're, galleon that we're familiar with, what it looks like. And on one of this, it didn't say millions. It had a larger number. And I'm trying to find a place that tells me how much are they really talking here.
1: Well, it says U.S. is $2 million, and then in S, it must be Sumatra
0: funds, it's 2.6. Yeah, something that had had it a lot more than that, and that's what had me be curious. Look like an interesting ship. Yeah. But it would be, again, nice to see the depth. I'm just curious.
1: Yeah, if it's too deep, two million isn't enough. <laughs> you could burn okay. through that in no time.
0: Built uh, building 1502, weighing 40, 400 tons. Uh, let's see, shopping from Portugal to India and back, twice the size of the other ships on the run. It said... Uh, the floor was something of a prototype, which would become the 16th century uh, India Na. And I'm still trying to find out how deep she is. Uh, something about her design made her dangerously unseaworthy and fully loaded, as evident in a couple of campaigns. So it seems Alfonso did not believe in the expression, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Most of his riches were placed in one ship. an enormous treasure filled the whole of the Flora de la Supposed to be 200 gem chests filled with diamonds, rubies, and emeralds. Well, 200 gem chests is going to be worth a hell of a lot more than $2 million.
1: You said 200 what?
0: Gem, G-E-M, chest.
1: Ah. Yes, and
0: I have a picture. Let me see if I can find this picture here.
1: Yeah, because a uh, uh, chest of gems. Yeah. Yeah, the you know chest that. The
0: I'm looking at is rather large, and if there's 200 of those, that, that may have been 2 billion, not million. Ah. Uh. Yeah, 200 gem chests with diamonds, rubies, and emeralds. That's a lot of money.
1: Yeah, that would be, yeah, because depending on what types of gems it is, well, it's even right worth more it than says, that.
0: One treasure hunter, Robert Marks, and you might know him because he's done many presentations. It all rolled underwater, by the way. That's has Sir put, Robert Marks. They didn't put the Sir here, but yes. Uh, he has reportedly spent somewhere around $20 million trying to find it. So wow. if he spent $20 million trying to find it, he ain't just going to get $2, two million back. No. And it's, a, it's the richest vessel ever lost at sea with its whole loaded with 200 coffers, is what they call it, of precious stones, diamonds, and small half-inch size to the size of a man's fist, diamonds.
1: Yeah, I've, that's, that's got to be... Either they're trying to fool the people of that country into thinking there's no money in it, so don't be too upset, or that's a typo.
0: Right, and this this article here was written back when they were looking for it. This is before they actually found it, Uh, because Sir Marks was still looking for it himself. So I that two main I I keep thinking I saw something that said two billion. I'm looking for that one, and two billion would make it worthwhile to look for.
1: Yeah, that that'd be that'd be worth going. And then here we have in Western Australia, shipwreck site is now just a click away. A new app developed by the Maritime Archaeology Association of Western Australia allows people to search for shipwrecks located in the Swan and Canning Rivers and around Rotten Nest. The association intends to expand the app to include wrecks on the Western Australia coastline. App developer Eon Warren said the idea was to bring history out of the boxes and direct to the public. They had accumulated years of dedicated history and underwater research on the wrecks in the Swan and Canning River, starting with some 30 known wrecks. The publication Swan and Canning River Wrecks by Colin Scrimshaw formed the starting point for our database. The phone app contains historical and pictorial information of the vessel, including photos of when they were operational and informing of the vessel's purpose. The app was shown to users how the wrecks looked, now with drawings and underwater photos, as well as the exact location of wrecks via Google Maps. The database includes some 50 wrecks. Development of the app was funded through Lottery West and helps students from Central Institute of Technology. Oh, with help from the the students, so that's some of your lottery money there.
0: So basically, all they're saying is, since you're so lazy to do your research, we're going to do it and put it on this little platform. So all you do is you've got to click a button now to find all of it.
1: <laughs>
0: that's, isn't that what it is?
1: that's how I make my money.
0: Oh, okay. I'm sorry. It's a very valuable service.
1: Yeah. No, but, I mean, that's kind of the point. I mean, that's a that's a challenge I always have is that uh, when should something be a website and when should it be an app? And many times I will make an app from a website. In fact, I'm going to bet, looking at how they've built this app, I'm betting that there's a, a website that also corresponds with it. Yeah, if you go to www.shiprexwa.com.
0: Well, when you get to your next one, you're going to see it also, what you just said.
1: Yeah, because the next, the, the next one that uh, Mac's talking about. Closer to home. A little bit closer to home. Shipwreck website details Lake Superior and Michigan shipwrecks. This is out of Duluth, Minnesota. The Shipwreck aficionados have a new way to research the shipwrecks. The website is called Wisconsin Shipwrecks. It offers details on 760 uh, shipwrecks in Lake Superior and Lake Michigan, including information ships' construction service history, Final Voyage and Location site will also include relevant videos and photos. The website was created by Wisconsin Historical Society and the University of Wisconsin Sea Grant, who have collaborated in a large number of shipwreck projects since 1990. Wisconsin has 55 shipwrecks listed on the National Historic Register, uh, National Registry of Historic Places, far outpacing any other Great Lakes state. So it's a competition. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see. I need to go to that website to see, see what it's like. And we... It,
0: Jim, who is the standard for identification of shipwreck literature on Great Lakes? I'm trying to think of his name, and I can't think of it right now.
1: You mean Boat Nerd?
0: No, not a Boat Nerd. It's a guy who. uh, Brandon Ballard. Brandon Ballard. I'm sorry. Brandon Ballard. Is that who you're thinking? No, who's the other Swayze. When you start. Swayze. Yeah, basically, it sounds like they took all of Swayze's records and put them on a.
1: Yeah, because now, did Swayze
0: have Boat Nerd? Is that what I'm thinking of? No, I think Boat boat Access is database, I believe. Oh, okay. I mean, mean, his work is everybody goes to his work if you're going to do something. That's a baseline. Yeah. yeah. So I just wonder how much of his stuff you're going to see on that other one, if you know what I mean. Yeah. He did a lot of work on that, that's for sure.
1: Well, and a lot of this is just a matter of formatting. Let's see. I'm I'm looking at the website now, which is www.wisconsinshipwrecks.org. And, uh, cause I got one that says shipwrecks lower Lake Michigan. I'm trying to see any that I might recognize. The thing with shipwrecks is people kept reusing names. <laughs> so you could have a boat that had eight different names on it, or you could have the same or boats with the same name sink eight different times.
0: And it could have been eight different boats or it could have been the same boat that sank four times. Yeah. <laughs> Well, gentlemen, I love talking shipwrecks, but I got to drop off tonight early. So, have a great week, and I'll see you Sunday. I hope. Okay. At high noon or one. One o'clock. One. Okay. If you don't mind. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye. Yeah, I want. I'm gonna
1: take a look at. Click on one of these. See the William Randolph that went down in 1880. I mean, I think they've done a good job with it. Uh, I mean, nothing supersonic, but at least the information is accessible. Love that the camera outfit that guy's got. Do you see that, Mac?
0: No, I was looking at something different.
1: Here, let me uh I'll paste it to you.
0: Oh heck yeah. <laughs> that's a couple of shekels. Yeah. That's on a TPV though. That's, I mean that's yeah. what that bottom is. With Dallas containers, plus looks like he's got power surface lights, maybe? Or surface yeah. power.
1: Yeah, well what I think he's doing if you look at it, he's got four downward facing lights on riggers. And then way at the, called the bow of the vessel, they have a uh, a video camera pointing down. Yeah. And I'm betting this is not, that this is an older photo. Because everything, I mean, you wouldn't have something that big now.
0: Uh, again, depends on the depth and stuff and how much lighting he has. But I, I, I know what you're saying.
1: Yeah, because he had probably older stock photos. But that's it's a, a nice little rig they have there. Yeah. So another good website. And they have a mysterious shipwreck that has been discovered off the coast of Boston.
0: Now don't don't you love the way they try to exaggerate something by saying mysterious? I mean, what's mysterious about a pile of wood on the bottom?
1: Oh, how did it get there? Aliens?
0: Now, how did it get there? Failure <laughs> to maintain buoyancy.
1: Yeah, failure to remain buoyancy. Yeah, that uh, would do it. So what they're saying is, social media users have recently discovered an anomaly. In Google Earth images surrounding Boston, they believe the photograph reveals a shipwreck astonishingly close to Logan International Airport. The user uploaded the image to Reddit on Saturday, according to Daily Mail, speculating that it depicted the remains of a sailing vessel found on Google Earth just off the runway of Logan International Airport. It looks like it might be a shipwreck. Wow. That water looks incredibly clear in that photo, doesn't it?
0: Well, since it's right there by the docks and stuff, I cannot believe that, uh, that has not been picked over and played with for a long time. If it's any it's, kind of boat, it's going to have to be a barge because it's rectangular. There's no other characteristics well, of a boat. Boat.
1: It'd be nice to know how deep that is, but that doesn't look that deep.
0: Well, take a look at the boats where they're at. It's deeper where the uh, docks are than it is over in the mudflat.
1: Yeah. Well, that's been dredged. So I'm good. Hmm.
0: It's like why not just walk out there and measure the damn thing, people.
1: Well, right. This just happened on Saturday. You've got to hope that somebody's gone out by now. Or ask the, the local
0: who's already been there.
1: Yeah. The local mud club of Boston, you need to go out there and take a look.
0: <laughs> you know they are, yeah. Yeah. i still like the one right below it. You take a look at that one? Yeah. Stumble across the outline of a shipwreck. It's like, duh.
1: Well, what it is is somebody realized it. That, 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 did anybody do any research to you know, check, are these known shipwrecks? And you can't tell me that the crew who put in those break walls didn't know that was there.
0: Yeah, and look how far across. How far is that from shore? Not. It's exposed. No. It's taken above the waterline.
1: Yeah, yeah. Probably a couple times a day, the yeah. tide goes out and you can see it.
0: It's unclear if authorities in Boston area. I don't know who the authorities are that would give a rip. Right. <laughs> the alleged shipwrecks.
1: Yeah, we have a shipwreck emergency.
0: Uh yeah. Look yeah, for survivors.
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll have to <laughs> survivors. <laughs> You're gonna have to uh, get the dispatch the historians.
0: Yeah, I think you got to cordon off the area and say, "Hey, you know, it could possibly has the potential to be a historic shipwreck, so it should be protected right now."
1: Yeah, build a cofferdam around it. And...
0: Oh, absolutely, both of them. Yeah.
1: Well, the shipwreck of the SS Ventnor has been found. It has been 112 years since the ill-fated SS Venter left New Zealand shores carrying 499 Chinese miners who died here and couldn't afford the passage home.
0: And it really looked like a significant ship to me in pristine condition.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, So they were dead before they left. The gold miners have been buried in New Zealand, then disinterred and sent home so that according to Chinese culture, their souls could be tended to by their families and they could finally be at peace. Chinese community members had pooled their money to send the remains home, but tragically, the men never arrived. Today, Maury and the Chinese community leaders announced that the ship's wreckage has finally been recovered and the efforts are being made to bring closure to families of those lost at sea.
0: Lots of luck there, buddy. 1902?
1: Yeah, I, I'm thinking that there's not too many people alive who... And I don't
0: think their record's probably going to be as easy to get to as uh, they'd think about.
1: They said it's very important for these people to be returned to China.
0: Well, who's going to pay for that?
1: Yeah, the ship was only built a year before it sank, so it didn't last long. That that was only a year before it sank. That was, wow. In the photo, that ship looks like it is in some bad condition, and that's a year old.
0: 147 meters deep.
1: Well, you're not. Well, di- my oh, my gosh, that's they're going to spend some money on that one. Yeah, but well, see, what? China's got that uh, that deep. Submersible? Maybe they're going to put that to use.
0: Well, see, they've already got artifacts like a porthole, a bell, which you would normally do because you didn't find any remains of the humans. Like I said, right. no evidence of human remains have been found yet.
1: Well, after a hundred years, even in the boat, they're going to break down.
0: It makes you wonder how they preserved them for shipment.
1: Honestly, I'm I'm picturing well, and and these are disinterred too. Yeah. this was they 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 had been buried and then dug up, and then I don't know if their culture is the same way, but a lot of them, they, some cultures will will bury twice. They bury them, let the flesh leave the bones, and then re, regather the bones and then bury them in a box.
0: Yeah. So the findings are said to highlight the significant ties between China and New Zealand. So maybe China will give them the matching fund or something.
1: Yeah, I said, although the wreck is not listed by the Heritage New Zealand at this time, It has been classified as an archaeological site. No more activity can be undertaken to modify or destroy the site unless authorized. Depending on funding, the volunteer project group hopes to complete its mission by the end of March with the aim of giving closure to families of 512 souls aboard the boat. The finding is said to highlight the significant ties. That's what you talked about.
0: I personally think they're going to be better off leaving it alone, considering it a burial site or however they want to do it since it's already now considered a historical archaeological site, Uh, you know, it's like, again, funding, return on the investment.
1: Yeah, well, there'll be no return on investment. The whole thing is, is it enough of a PR thing for either the Chinese government or the New Zealand organization to spend the money to do what they're going to do? Yeah. I mean, I can't speak for their culture, but my family would be, just leave me down there. Yeah. And you want to go swimming around, it's okay.
0: I mean, is it worth going 100, you know, 450 feet to recover some porthole windows and plates, which meant they did a penetration night, probably?
1: Well, did they know what wreck it was when they dove down on it? Yeah, Man, and it
0: doesn't say the condition of the wreck. You know, normally, if it's split up, then it's accessible already. And like you said, maybe that's why they haven't found any human remains, because it's been open to the sea for 100 years plus. Yeah. I'd like to see some pictures, on, you know, down below.
1: Yeah. I have an idea they're going to be real cautious on posting any photos.
0: Well, that's only in the States are we're uh, concerned about photos of the dead, I think, isn't it? Oh,
1: I don't know. That gets me worked up. We tend to be a little oversensitive on stuff like that.
0: Interesting.
1: Well, that does it for the news. We do have some potential cool scuba gear. One of these is talking about uh, boats, and the only reason I picked this one up is because one of the boats advertised as a... Little tiny scuba diving boat, the Outer Reef sixty-five foot L R Y M, and eighty-eight foot C P M Y. The L R Y M features the ability to semi-close off the pilot's house for privacy and use space. The yacht was designed for multiple redundant systems, true long-range cruising, An eighty-eight foot C P M Y boasts an open layout, di- ideal for entertainment, with the ability to semi-separate and the uh, semi-separate the pilot house. The custom sport cockpit is perfect for fishing and scuba diving, including dive tank storage and a dive compressor. See, Dive Club needs one of those, Mac.
0: Uh, I'm looking did you take a look at the uh, Hobie 60, Katie Sue?
1: I like that one, too.
0: Oh, yeah. I couldn't ask for the little Zodiac on the top (laughs)
1: deck. Yeah. (laughs) I kind of liked some of those uh, catamaran styles like that.
0: I was just looking at the back. They, hopefully, they got a platform. Otherwise, that's a long climb. I bet those open up in the back. Right, right they
1: there. do. You can see that there's a door on each yeah. pontoon. It probably like seals the them. Flem-
0: the Flemings are nice. Yeah. So why yeah. did you get that Hampton Group, that 2015 Enduro Endurance? When did you get that one? Yeah. You like that one? I, I like
1: them all. I take any of them <laughs> and a gas card to fill it up.
0: Yeah, you're you're not gonna have a trailer big enough to haul that one around, though.
1: No, no, these are not trailer these are not trailerable boats.
0: I don't think you'd have any trouble getting the ladies to go out on the boat like that, though.
1: Oh no, this no, I'd have no, nope, they would. Uh, you'd have them lined up on the dock.
0: Yeah, I'm sure they got a little better than porta potties on this one. Excuse me.
1: Yeah, oh, most certainly they do.
0: They didn't give any of uh, money. No, bags.
1: no, it's uh, my grandfather who had. Marina, said, if you have to ask, you can't afford it.
0: I can't afford much, son.
1: And then here's uh, one out of uh, Kansas City. Rapid PSI is using 3D printing to transform designs into parts. And uh, the way this one made the list is uh, one of the, they've been creating parts for a company making BCDs. So they're doing prototyping and small-scale production. said last year revenues grew almost 50% over the year before. They've also been adding machines. In 2009, I had one machine. They added four machines this last year. And now it's 12. They said plans are to add at least four more. The goal is to have 20 machines by 2016 and 40 or or so more in five years. Machines cost anywhere from 120000
0: to $600,000. you got to have money to make money, huh?
1: You do, but I can't believe there's that much money in this. I mean, I know... It's Hmm. what
0: you save in in labor and stuff, isn't it, by being able to use a 3D printing process? Well, the thing with 3D
1: printing process, at least in the early days, was the ability to rapidly prototype, and you could do it in-house. So it it was really a time thing. I could have a designer who does it on CAD. A traditional workflow would be you do all your CAD drawings, you print the drawings out, you give them to a machine shop or a tooling company if it's a plastic part, you have to make the tooling, make the dies, cast the part, set up the machine to cast the part. You know, so you you're basically doing a production run of one. Uh, and that's sometimes just to figure out if the part's even gonna work. So there's an
0: interesting part here, it's talking about morals and ethics. Organ organ, yeah, organ it's organ OVO, I don't know. Organ OVO? It's a biotech company. experimenting experimenting with ways to print human organs, plans to harvest a patient's own cell, culture them so they multiply, the cells would then be fed into the printer, which would print tissue strips strips that could be used to patch a patient's failing organs, and eventually the company uh, company hopes to create new organs. So now you're talking one-of-a-kind, unique with your own tissue. Now you can see why that could be very important. Oh,
1: for those it could be. Now, uh,
0: this here gives an example of different ways that technology can be used, and it's just not the way I had thought about it.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I've seen, I, I think it's in a, uh, a future technology. I, I really like the way that it's going and then the variety of materials. I'm just surprised at the amount of money that they're able to charge for it.
0: Yeah. I just sent you two links. Uh, one was on that article I was just looking at that was telling me about using a 3D printer and tissues to make organs, which is quite interesting. Never really thought about it from that aspect. And the other was uh, an article a little more claritive. You know, maybe a little bit not politically correct when we're talking about that shipwreck. Uh, there's another article I just sent you that puts it in a little different vein with a little more humanity involved than in what I was uh, espousing. Mm-hmm. So give it the right side that the other article I just sent you just for reference and send off to anybody who's interested who might look at this.
1: Yep. Yeah. I need to make sure I get those in my show notes. And see, and Jim's going to miss this next one. Oh, wait, wait, no, we, we got one more to do before we got get the down shark. to the good one. Got the shark. So in South Africa, they're trialing what they're calling a high tech punch to the nose for shark. It's a, sounds like a, a electric – oh, goodness. I've grabbed the computers. You'd think I've never used a computer before sometimes.
0: Here they were talking about – you're talking about using that 100-meter-long cable in a bay? Yeah. Right, and it, it's fixed to the C4 with what they call vertical risers supporting electrodes, and they emit a low-frequency, low-power fuel that the sharks don't like They stay away from it. Yeah. So they're talking about inventing a portable device called a shark pod that generates that feel to protect divers and surfers.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. If if it does, if the sharks don't like it, I mean that's kind of the trick is. Well, if when you're, you're hungry,
0: snappers, you know, and you one of those guys guys come by and you poke them in the nose. Uh, well, I think that's going to upset them really a lot, make them dazed and everything.
1: Well, I've seen the uh, was it? There's a, a couple of the stories I've read on people who've been attacked. Yeah, they, the the all the survivors. That's what they did is they punched them in the nose, and I think it. Kind of, there, there's something about how the sharks are wired up that it it, it kind of distracts them or something.
0: Yeah, if you have a stun gun in you, zap them in the nose? I think they're going to uh, leave you alone.
1: Yeah. Said so researchers uh, chose the, day, the, the particular bay they're in because the sharks appear there more frequently during the summer months. Clear waters in the area also make it easier to monitor to see whether the barrier does provide a deterrent. Said so the technology will not harm humans because of the cable in the seafloor and it would be covered.
0: Sounds interesting to me.
1: Yep. Okay, Mac, now I'm going to give you this link. Let's see if I can find which window that is in. Here it is. And this one is on Facebook.
0: Oh, the wrong cylinder going boom. (laughs)
1: Yeah. How's that? That's that's for a bad day in the dive shop. So this is what can happen when somebody tries to fill a scuba cylinder that has an M25 neck thread valve, as now standard in Europe, on a three-quarter inch NPSM neck thread cylinder, which is standard in Australia. The incident happened in Europe recently, and no one was injured, but there's been similar cases with significant personal injuries. The M25 thread seems to fit properly, but it is not safe.
0: Only if you put pressure in the tank?
1: Well, yeah. Yeah, for a lamp, it's fine. For breathing gas, you've got a missile. <laughs> yeah, and in this photo, for those who aren't seeing it, and again, it will be in the show notes. But of course, you might not be able to get there. Facebook can be weird sometimes. But uh, it's a think of a fill station. They got a little computer desk in the corner, and there's about eight or nine whips hanging out the wall for filling. And there's one tank with a whip connected, and there's another one which is a white tank with remarkably no valve on it. And then there's just shit all over the floor because it launched that whip into the ceiling, knocked all the, I'm guessing they probably had some sort of ceiling tiles up there. But there's drywall, plaster, fiberglass, wood all over the floor. And then the comments are good to read too. It's entertaining.
0: Yeah, I was looking at those myself.
1: Yeah, there was one guy goes, well, I see what their problem is. They got crap all over the floor. It's dangerous to fill with junk on the floor. But yeah, that's a bad day.
0: I do agree with the one guy's comment, though. What's that? Somebody's jocks were brown.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) I mean, you've been in there before when you just blow a simple pressure disc. It gets your attention in a hell of a hurry.
1: The air just is loud. I mean, that's just, it's just noisy. And then something like that, that's where.
0: (laughs) Now, one thing I did
1: see in the comments is somebody was talking about, uh, they didn't see the water tanks. And we probably do a podcast just on fill in tanks with, uh, in a bath or not.
0: Yeah, your pros and cons. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there's some people who swear by it, and other people say it's the most dangerous thing you can ever do.
0: Yeah, they swear at it. Yeah. That's why I put mine, I let them soak, and I walk away from them. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, and that does it for scuba in the news and everything related and so on and so forth. And last week, now how many dives did you get in last week, Mac?
0: Uh, I'm ashamed to say, so we really won't talk. We'll talk about the one that everybody went, even. Why, we
1: had a good turnout last Sunday. We went in the Niles, uh, the St. Joe River in Niles. They're behind the movie theater, just downstream from the bridge, the 100-year-old bridge that is being dismantled. And I went diving, uh, Jim Schultz, Mac, Mary Beth braved it in the wetsuit. We had, uh, was it Dan? Dan. Dan came in a drive suit. He had the farthest to drive. He come from Lansing.
0: Yeah, I believe he did.
1: Yeah, so he, he really came. As, um, Jake, see, was Jake, was, Jake was there. Jake was
0: there. And we had a lot of spectators, who couldn't believe, them it was crazy oh. out there in the middle of the river.
1: Yeah, that that lady with her two dogs and like, oh, she, my gosh, now, I
0: can't believe it. She would a, a whole time, time, wasn't she, talking to her 81-year-old mother, taking pictures and <laughs> and sending yeah. the her. You can't life. believe what they're doing out here.
1: Yeah. Well, and you would think that we've never done that before. We're we're out all the time. How do we not I guess uh maybe it's good to be a little incognito.
0: I think it was because of the weird time of day and it was freaking freezing and snowing and they just didn't expect it.
1: Yeah. But uh I've I've gone I've gone swimming in that that swimming, uh diving in that part of the river before, but that was where I've spent the most time in that section.
0: Well, you spent more time down there in the Maramont area.
1: Oh yeah, I've got a lot more time there.
0: Which you have not even dove
1: this year. Uh, did I? I'm trying to remember. If I, yeah, I don't. I think you're right. I don't think I have. I might have in the spring. Did we get a spring dive in there?
0: No, we didn't. We normally don't get there until the uh, end of the summer, and then we go, you know, balls to the wall.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the leaves are on the bottom, so I, I I did my dry suit, and I was a little nervous. Because I have not been diving in about six to eight weeks, and the temperature is significantly different now than then, and I know a dry suit's supposed to be warmer, but I was just betting all you dry suit divers were lying to me, and it was going to be colder uh, and it was gloves. very
0: comfortable, wasn't
1: it? It wasn't too bad, yeah, I was a little chilly i I mean I've pieced together some questionable undergarments now, I'm sticking the polyester you know, under armor type, but I don't have anything, I would say, professional quality undergarments. Of course, I'm not sure I can fit too much undergarments at this point in time. Uh, I was underweighted. I think that was my problem. I added eight pounds over what I dive normally. Uh, Also, I I didn't really, being shallow was a little bit different experience in a dry suit. Uh, I had a hard time getting deep enough in the current to be able to vent once I got vented, I was a little bit better, but I was still too much in the water column. I think I still need to add another four to six pounds, which just means that in the spring I need to make sure as we start diving the big lake, I undo the weight. Otherwise, I'm going to be severely overweighted for lake diving.
0: I generally try to get out there in about five foot of water, put that high arm up, bleed the suit, and that usually helps. And then just make sure the BC is empty and sink well, right I think- on down.
1: I think the mistake that Mary, Mary Beth, and I made is we came because there's a there's a pipe, there's a concrete drainage pipe uh, uh, where it connects to the downtown storm drains, and that's where it goes in the river. And I was on the upstream side of that pipe, and that kind of created a barrier, and all the water kind of collected in the pipe and then shot out. So I think I was in when I got below the pipe. That's when I was able to vent a little bit better. Uh, it was still too much of a current for me with my waiting to try and get across uh, the river, which was what my goal was. So, but I, I got to play around with. I was in the water maybe twenty, thirty minutes. Uh, I was starting to get cold. My my gloves. I've got. I was using old wetsuit gloves, and they have completely disintegrated. So, before my next dive, I need to get those replaced. Um, let's see what else was there? I'd say the the water temperature is probably about thirty eight. Wouldn't you say thirty eight, thirty nine, yep. Mac? Yeah,
0: it's about thirty eight.
1: Yeah, the uh, visibility, I would put maybe six feet, five feet. Uh,
0: five to eight, depending on where you're at and who's in front of you.
1: Yeah, well, there were parts where it wasn't, it wasn't two feet, but uh, it wasn't too bad. The only live creatures I saw were uh, crayfish. Uh, I measured one. I had my river stick, which I promptly left in the water. Uh, it was about six, seven inches. And then I also lost my dive flag. I, I had I had my, my haul, my booty from, uh, I, I found a plate and a few bottles, and I, I had a almost Christmas Coke. <laughs> I'm calling it almost. It, it, it could be 20 years off, but it's almost to me. And that cleaned up pretty well. I was I was happy with how that cleaned up. I found a lot of them about that age, but they're always got the neck broke off or a big chip or something in it. And that one was clean. A uh, little, little scratch from rolling the sand, so it, it's... It's spent some time in the river, and I'm sure that was not its original home. Uh, but, uh, I mean, what, what what did you think of the dive?
0: I enjoyed the heck out of it. Uh, I was able to scoot right on across. I had my river stick with me. Uh, but coming back, the current seemed to be more because it actually pushed me downstream a little more than I had anticipated. And it's getting chilly enough that uh, if you bump up and don't keep that reg under, you're going to get a free flow.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's it's certainly you got to start Diving like you're doing ice dives. Yeah, yeah and and I, I filled my jug of warm water at home because you, you, when I talked to you the day before, he goes, "You mentioned don't forget the warm water." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's right." So I filled it up. I left it in my sink.
0: <laughs> I've done that before, but I soaked my rigs in it to give me a little extra when I went down the first time. And even when we're out last week, I normally don't have free flows in the ice. I have them in the river uh, because if you're you know your backup or something burps and you're above, and you're not breathing on your regular one, your octopus is going to take you out. So I took my octopus off my rigs.
1: Yeah. Well, I've even had it where the, uh, the the uh, what was it, we were in Holland that one time, and the force of the water against your regulator was causing it to burp. Yeah. Oh. So it was almost like there's enough force, it was like your hand was pushing the the regulator to purge it.
0: Yeah. So I'm going to work yeah. on that opposite side. I'll probably take my bail out with my ice rag on it, so I've got something that's not going to screw me up. So if I have a a free flow on the main, I got my good one It's not going to screw me up.
1: Yeah. Now, so that Sunday we're talking about doing a dive there yeah, again. Sunday one o'clock. Sunday one o'clock. Okay. I think I'm I'm cleared for that one.
0: And I've still got that uh, double wide handicap portage on, so I'll I'll think about maybe bringing the the shed, but depending on it's supposed to be 50 degrees.
1: Yeah. It's supposed to get warmer.
0: The water yeah. won't, but the air temperature will. Yeah, yeah, that's
1: that's fine. I th- I think that w- that went well, uh, good dive. Uh, what was the most unusual object that was found?
0: Well, Jim got five fantastic bottles, five different colors, five different mar- you know variations of bottle. All of them were highly embossed, and uh, the real nice one was that uh, cobalt blue lightning stopper bottle with a very interesting pommel mark, which I hadn't seen before. That I think was the the, the premier one. He yeah. did get two very nice medicines, again, highly embossed. One was a brown, and then one was more of an aqua color. And the one he brought at the diet meeting was his uh, round bottom. And yes. that was from New York, and that was a very nice bottle too. but That yeah, was that,
1: that was a nice one. Those one. are all nice collectible bottles.
0: Yeah, everyone that... he got was worth putting on your shelf.
1: Yeah, and and I don't think... A, a typical bottle collector in the area would have those specific bottles.
0: Not at the same time like he did there.
1: Yeah. Now, without giving away that location where we were at, what makes you think that those bottles were there?
0: We have not dove that section, and therefore it's pristine. You know what Mount Maramont was like You know, a couple of years ago? Yeah. Every time you hit the water, it was something new. And well, here's a I, large stretch. Yeah,
1: I dove that 20 times. And now, see, that one there, my my thought is, because that Maramont is right there by the waste treatment, that that was originally a dump before it was a waste treatment plant. Yeah. So I'm thinking that they just dumped and dumped and dumped. Because where can you build a waste treatment plant? You know, nobody's going to complain if you're building it on an old dump site. So that's my thought with that. And it's just as the river erodes, it just exposes that. So I think Maramont... Could be another 10, 20 years of good bottle finds there. You're just yes. going to keep exposing it. But that spot where you and Jim were finding those, you know, it doesn't follow any of my rules. I mean, it's there's not a path there where people would appear well, but, to be but, throwing stuff.
0: But that's the upper part of the curve where you got the fastest current because it's faster over there. We haven't been there. And all the stuff we were finding under the bridge, mm-hmm. that should have been an indication what you're going to find downstream.
1: That's true. That's true. So that that would be a result of strong spring currents, you know, ice dams there at the bridge, the bridge, yep. the dam breaks open, you got this big surge of water, it lifts all the bottles up, and then they start collecting down.
0: Right, and the slope there is not shallow like at Marmont In many cases, you know, you could be in from two inches, maybe 10 feet out, and you're still in four foot of water. Over there, you're in, it goes from like one inch to two feet. Yeah. It's got a sharp angle.
1: Well and I do sometimes I found my best bottles where I'm just not even in the water i'm my tank's out, and I'm just floundering around
0: right that and that's up there in the shallows, but the good ones, and when you go out there, you'll find several mother loads of brown bottles uh, at about five and six feet depth actually that's all and if you go a little off to the left towards the the current or towards the river, the current picks up tremendously. You're gonna wind up grabbing a brick just so you can stay in position,
1: yeah. Yeah, well, I definitely need to. I, I need to get some more weight for this next weekend.
0: Yep, and you, you got to make sure you have a. Don't take a, a buoy flag, take an inner tube because the frozen and cons. The inner tubes you're going to drag your butt because the current is faster against the drag. But and you got to watch out because you got some trees and you got some snags in that area. That's going to grab their freaking flag for one, and you're also going to get your lines caught. So you'll have to use a little caution when you're on that side grubbing. Mm, okay. And don't get snagged. There's a lot of snags out there. Okay,
1: makes sense to me.
0: Looking forward to it.
1: I am too. And then, of course, we had the post dive warm up at the the nugget.
0: That's almost as much fun as the dive, especially if you didn't find much. I my best find, I think, is a clay pipe.
1: That was nice. That was, that was a nice first find. First
0: thing I found just walking down it's like duh. That that, that it, would be it, a
1: find of the year for me. <laughs> but that was a, it was a nice because uh, what and and the stem was long. I've I've seen. People bring up clay pipes, and there's, like, no stem.
0: Right, just a bowl. Yeah. Now, what's that
1: little nub at the bottom of that? Say again? Well, uh, on that clay pipe, you had the bowl, but then you have the stem. And kind of right where the bowl and the stem start to come out, there's a little bit of extra nub. Is that just from when they cast them?
0: Well, a lot of these were called hotel pipes. Uh And you'd have the bowl and the stem, and then you'd have another section that's probably four or five inches long. And those would have little serrations. And what it was, I'd leave those in the hotel room, and the guy would smoke. And when he left, he'd break that part off where he bit on it. Mm -hmm. And when they got broken all the way to the end, they threw the pipes away. Yeah. But still not the quantity and the quality of the pipes where you see it up at St. Clair, because those are the ones that would have the faces on them. You'd have a nose and all that. Uh Those were nice.
1: So you got the, those are the fancy pipes.
0: Yeah, yeah. So who knows what we'll find this Sunday. Maybe we'll do really, really good.
1: Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah. And so, as always, we'd like to thank everybody for listening to the show. We had a few in the chat room tonight. We had Dave and we had Mark popped in for a while. Uh, if you if you can do us a favor and leave us five-star reviews and reviews on iTunes, we absolutely love those. We are on the WRVO radio network this season, so you can listen to us there. Uh, tune in Radio, and you can look up WRVO Outdoor Radio. A lot of programs dealing with the outdoor world. If you're into fishing, if you're into scuba diving, if you're into boating or camping or hunting, there are programs on that radio station that you'll certainly love to listen to. Uh, Reno Viola Outdoors or WRVO Radio. Uh, let's see. You also can follow us on Twitter, at Scuba Obsessed. We're on Facebook, Facebook dot com forward slash goob obsessed getting caught up on the show notes so we got some good stuff here coming around the first of the year so keep a lookout gonna be adding some more products more features uh dima's going on this week we didn't go out this year every year i think i'm gonna go next year but maybe the next year's a year that i'm gonna get to go uh but dima i've been watching there's not a whole lot of the the some of the photo dive sites have some people there looking uh Rich Sinowick from Divers Incorporated and Divers Inc. Uh he's, he's actually out there, so maybe we'll get him to fill us in if there's anything good going on this year at DEMA, the Dive Equipment and Manufacturing Association show in Las Vegas. Next year will be Orlando, if I'm correct. Well, you got anything to plug, Mac?
0: No, sir, not today. Just if you're mm-hmm. local, you want to get wet? Yeah. See you. Niles
1: on Sunday, 1 o'clock. Yeah, yeah. Niles, uh, they're behind the movie theater. The Wonderland Cinema at the, I don't know, that's a city park, I believe, there.
0: Riverview Park, I think that's what they call it.
1: Yeah, Riverview Park. Well, which can, I mean, you can find, Riverview Park's a long park, so. But just look for the guys with scuba gear on. That's usually a good giveaway that it's yeah. us.
0: Go near the bridge. Go to the bridge.
1: Yeah, go to the bridge. Unless you're going to find bottles, then we want you to stay away from the bridge. <laughs>
0: We can always use shore support. You don't have to die. I love the shore support. Have fun. We'll go out and eat afterwards and tell our little fibs and lie, or not lies, exaggerations maybe, and have a good time.
1: Well, I think we're to that time of the show. Are you ready?
0: I am ever ready.
1: So this is another joke from Rod. He's got us loaded up. We've got a couple banked marinating, getting ready for the show. So here we go. An elderly Florida couple, Sam and Bessie, are holidaying in Bonaire. Sam wanted a new fins, Seeing some on sale one day, Sam buys them, goes back to hotel room, tries them on. Flapping proudly around the room, he walks out the balcony of the room and says to his wife, Notice anything different about me? Bessie looks at him over. Nope. Sam says excitedly, Come on, Bessie. Take a good look. Notice anything different about me? Bessie looks again. Nope. Frustrated, Sam storms into the bathroom, undresses, walks back into the room completely naked except for his fins again he asked a little louder this time notice anything different now Bessie looks up and down Sam what's the difference it's hanging down today it's been hanging down yesterday it'll be hanging down again tomorrow furious Sam yells and you know why it's hanging down Bessie it's hanging down because it's looking at my new fins which Bessie replied should have bought a mask Sam should have bought a mask
0: It's nice to
1: be able to blame that on somebody else. On that. <laughs> yeah, it gives me like a cover. <laughs> <laughs> so until next time, go out there and get wet.
0: And stay safe.
1: Oh, I never said it's a little thing.
0: Say what? Call recording has been completed.